Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you are listening to the Long Game Podcast. In this episode, I'm chatting with JJ Reynolds. JJ is the founder and head of marketing and analytics at Media Authentic, an analytics and measurement firm that helps businesses implement and take action on their data. In this conversation, we talk about how marketers can best use data to make decisions, and we dive into many common mistakes made, especially on the Google Analytics platform. We also dive into the art of asking great business questions to inform measurement strategies, the limitations of analytics in existing platforms, and what content marketers need to know about the upcoming shift to Google Analytics 4. Without further ado, here is my conversation with JJ Reynolds. I want to start with uh, maybe like a contrarian take then. And this is like obviously a devil's advocate position because we've worked together. You know that I come from an experimentation and analytics background, but content marketers, uh, why do content marketers need analytics anyway? So (laughs) there's this point that like people say you can't measure all the benefits of say content marketing. So why is it even worthwhile to spend so much time implementing, auditing, managing, and using data when it only shows you a fraction of the picture of the overall benefits of marketing. Oh yeah. Like I, I totally get it. Like we work with like a lot of like agencies also. So like that is 100% a valid question of like, what's the purpose from a content marketing standpoint? Like what's the utility, I guess is, is yeah. the point when it's like, um you know, like there's the brand building aspects. Like you can't usually measure, I guess, like somebody who's seen your your brand show up on maybe social media or search engines 20 times. And like what you see is usually like that last touch point or like whatever the attribution model shows you. So I guess I get a lot of pushback um, from some content marketers, not everybody. Like there are a lot of data-driven ones, but a lot of people are like kind of smack talking like the data-driven approach and saying like, hey, you know, we don't need analytics to tell us that this is the right thing. We're telling our brand story and we know that this is kind of going to make waves. So why do we need to track it basically? Yeah. So I think the the bigger question is like, what is the intention of the of of the content? Like, and that's what people oftentimes get like lost in is like every content needs to drive a dollar. Right. Like that's like very much like a, a the CFO, right? The CFOs and so like, how much money did we get out of this blog post that cost us a thousand dollars to write, right? Like, well, that's that's what the CFO is going to ask. But then, like the marketer, like the smart, like intentional marketer, is going to be like, what was the purpose of this article, and did it achieve that? And so then you have to look at the bigger question above that is like, let's just take a SaaS company for example that's in like a CRM space hypothetically. And like, say they have the content pillars of like CRM, like marketing director and uh, like tactical implementation. And those are like the categories that they have. Like, is the intention of each category the same? Is the intention of each article in the category the same? And so if you have a way to categorize like the intention of 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 the article or the intention of the category, or if you have subcategories, or if you have like, however, however you're categorizing things, it's way easier to judge the like in the success of it if you're like this is the article that like someone should read right before they buy. Like we should have our sales team send this to people that don't buy on the call. We should have everybody like do these things. But at the end of the day, there will be some articles that are just like listicles that are like the top ten things that you need to look at from your CRM's perspective. And 
like that's not going to drive very many sales. So what's the intention of writing the article off the bat? And let's measure against that intention as opposed to being like, how much revenue did this get? Because it probably won't be a lot. So it's like before you start on a measurement strategy, you start with goals. Well, yeah. I mean, what's the, yeah, I like to call it like an intention. Like, why are you doing this thing? Like you're doing it, whatever it is. Like, why are you doing that? Like, why do you have a blog? Like, and that's where people are like, uh, like some people are like, I don't know. Like we have a blog, like it's 2022. Like we're supposed to have a blog. It's 2023. We're supposed to have a blog. Like, um, and like, you're like, okay, like how many, like, why do you have this blog? Is it supposed to be doing something? Are people supposed to be reading the blog? Like, let's start with that. Like how many people actually reach 90% of the articles? Like, and then that way you have a, like a strategy of like your intention of like, we are moving towards this goal of 10,000 link clicks to our site. <laughs> that's an ab- ambiguous goal. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of the strategy to start out with. I think I think that's an interesting point because I, on con- in content specifically, I think that the intentions of a content team it's often very expansive. And I saw that in CRO too. CRO is like, oh, like we're not just people who like increase the conversion rate. We also help uh, you know, other teams learn about like the users and we help like with the design and we help with, you know, like all it, like the goal becomes very expansive. But then like, if you talk to the the stakeholder or executive who is kind of sponsoring that team, they're like, we want to see revenue. Right. <laughs> so I think if you ask different people at, at the company, like what's the purpose of content? Like if you ask the CMO or CFO or, or somebody in more of a business role, they would be like, we want to see this not as a cost center, but we want to see this as like an ROI positive equation. But then the content marketer, I think that's where maybe the discrepancy comes because they're like, well, if we're only measuring that, like that's not capturing all of these additional benefits. But like what we are measuring, I mean, that's what what usually the people who are sponsoring the program program care about in the first place. Yeah. And I think that's it, it takes us back to the age-old question of um, like paid media is way easier to like do these examples on. But imagine if you're running like Facebook ads to a lead magnet. Okay. And then your lead magnet, it, and it's not a sales call. It's not anything like that. It's just like an automation sequence that delivers a lead magnet and then talks about your product, basic as it gets. And so one, one team's going to look at, oh, wow, our email is just crushing revenue. Like, it's so good. Oh, my gosh. Revenue is through the roof, through the channel of email. And then the content team or the, the ad team in this case is like, we're driving leads. There's zero revenue. ROAS, zero. Negative. Negative ROAS. <laughs> like, and so then what like what happens is, is that the email team is like getting given all the credit, right? Of of these, of this revenue. But like if you set shut off the paid ads, like then that intention of getting leads goes away. And it's the same thing with content. Just no one thinks about it like that. It's like the intention of these articles is to drive leads or, or even higher up the funnel is to drive like awareness that we even exist as a company. Um, so let's measure for that. And then that's the intention is like drive leads. Boom. You shouldn't measure the contents by revenue because you're never going to get revenue. Email is going to get revenue. Um, and so that's like a much more uh, actionable way to think about it, right? Is like this content drives leads. Email drives sales from those leads. And oftentimes it doesn't even matter where those like lead channels come from as long as the form it makes sense, right? Like, it's not like get a million dollars if you submit this form. Like, that's 
not going to get you the best leads, but if, if the channel makes less variables as, as far as the form goes. So that's kind of my take on it. Do you think that sometimes the tools are biased in a way towards certain channels? Because I always felt like certain things were easier to measure and attribution models were catered towards more of the paid touch points and email touch points. Whereas like, I mean, you can set these things up in a way, and especially if you're very conscious of leading indicators and like the escalating ladder of goals. But I think it's like content marketers and people like higher up the funnel are kind of disadvantaged when it comes to like the the modern data stack and especially GA or, or, or some of these like web analytics solutions. Am I off base there? Or? I think it depends on like, there's the traffic, like it's always like the traffic conversation of like, where do the people come from as opposed to the content, like attribution of like what content did they read? And it's just a lot easier to like use traffic because you can just say, where'd you come from? Like if you're talking to real people, right? Think of like the storefront of like a Walmart, like, Hey, where'd you come from? Oh, I saw your billboard. Oh, where'd you come from? I saw an, uh, a, a direct mail thing that I have a coupon for two turkeys for one. Like that's so easy, right? Well, way harder, even for Walmart is like, which aisles did they go down? Like that's even hard for Walmart to decide. Like they have like a, a billions of dollars and they're still like, is this the best layout? Like it's still not answered. And that's the same exact thing that websites are trying to do is like, it's just way easier to be like, where'd they come from? than like, was it this piece of content that made them buy? Was it this aisle that they walked down? Was it looking for ground crackers? And we happened to put the marshmallows next to the ground crackers. So we make s'mores. Now we got two for one bundle here. Like it's just way harder on the content front in general to even get an actionable outcome. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how some of the most most impactful things you can measure are difficult to measure. And then like some of the easiest things to measure, at least in my opinion, are borderline useless, if not pushing you in a it could push you in a strange direction like bounce rate i don't, I don't know how do you, like when people look at bounce rate i feel like that's often misguided or oh, man. if it's like I the like, only thing they're looking at anyway it's like yeah bounce rate i like my first question is when everyone whenever someone mentions bounce rate i'll say like what is bounce rate like define it technically for me how you define the bounce rate because it's so easy manipulated like on most all platforms so what like, do you mean by how it's manipulated, by the way? Because I, I think that's something not a lot of people understand how it's actually calculated. Yeah. So in our good old friend, Universal Analytics, which is going away in July of 2023, but we're going to use that for the example because it's been around for a decade. Um, a bounce rate is literally saying the people that did not have a interaction. And so by default, right, if you have a default Google Analytics, Universal Analytics setup, we're just measuring page views. That's it. If you have a page view and you read the whole article, like, so I, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gold. Like this article is so good. I'm reading it. I'm like sitting around for five minutes and I'm like, wow, this is a great article. And then I leave and I click out. I bounced because there was no action that Universal Analytics knows to measure against if I bounced or not. And so like, if you want to have a low bounce rate, just trigger an event after five seconds and anyone who doesn't spend five seconds has or is bound, and everyone who spends more than five seconds has not bounced. So you can just change that. It's so easy to change the bounce rate that it's like, what's the definition of a bounce or what should be the definition of a bounce? And if someone doesn't know that answer, I'm like, you're just saying something that you read on like HubSpot's blog. Um, no smack talk to HubSpot's blog. But uh, <laughs> no, it's a common thing because also it's like you not every piece of content is meant to take an action per se on the page. It's like uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but like that person could read an article that's like a thought leadership piece, convincing you of, an, of a new way of thinking about your industry. They could clip that, share that, post it on Slack and like have 10 other teammates read it. And that could still be registered as a balance. Whereas you may on a different article, like have a scroll depth trigger or like a video play or something like that. And nothing meaningful happens on the page, right? It's it's something that like they clicked on a video, forgot about it. And then that wasn't a balance. And like the, you're, you're suddenly like derating like the piece of content that was actually shared through the company because, you know, it's got like a high bounce rate and the other one like didn't, I mean... Is yeah, that right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So like, if you don't have an intention, that's like back to the intention of the article, right? Is the intention of the article to get like CMOs to share it among CMOs? Is the intention of the article to rank on Google as high as possible? Like, and then get them to go to the other article. Like, what's the intention of any piece of content that is published? Because it's really easy to do the intention of a traffic source, right? Like back to the traffic source and the content. Like, it's really easy to be like, this is top of funnel, Meaning that they don't know who we are, and we just are, and we just dub terms, and it's very easy to categorize that in our head. But no one ever does that with content. So if you can do that, if you can think of a way of categorize of what the intention of the article is, it makes it way easier as opposed to looking like default metrics, where like, um, like hey, let's just across the board, we're going to say anything that's less than ten seconds is a bounce. They're not on the page. Like now we have a, a universal metrics measuring stick across all articles, and then. You can go from there. What do you think, like for market content marketers who may not be as um, inclined towards analytics and um, kind of quantitative arts? How would you advise them to think about metrics to look at? Like, what matters? How should they even kind of like dip their toes into these waters? If they're maybe like writing blog posts, getting some traffic, they don't necessarily know what to do with regards to data driven decision making. Like, how do they how do they get started into this? Yeah, I'd start like get like a white piece of paper. And like sit it down in front of you and say, what questions do you have about if it's working? Like, don't even like listen to anyone like me or like anyone who's telling you what metrics to, to like use. Like, we're going to throw any type of best practice out the window. Just write down like what questions you have about is it like the, to answer the question of like, quote unquote, is it working? Hmm. Like, just you have a white page in front of you. And I don't care if you say like, like the most ridiculous thing to measure, like ever, like, I don't care. And so like basically write down as many questions as you can think of that are that like you would want to know. And then next to that question, write the action you will take depending on the answer to it. Hmm. And you're going to throw away like half of your questions because there's no action. Like it goes back to like, uh, like it was it raining? Like we made more sales when it's raining. Like, cool. Like, well, if you can figure out how to make it rain, it's a much better business than <laughs> figuring out how to sell umbrellas. Like there's like a whole, like that's like your action is nothing. You can't do anything about that. So like most people start with questions that you can't take an action on. So why even ask the question? Like obviously someone should ask the question, like if it's something that's an actually valuable thing, but in general, as a content marketer, start with the questions that you have about your article. Like it could be something as simple as like, hey, you have a, a bold middle section that's like, the main takeaway, did people read it? Like, if they did read it, we're going to do more of that. <laughs> if they didn't read it, we're going back to the drawing board on like what our main takeaways of our articles. I would love to riff on that a little bit, um, if possible. Like, because I'm imagining questions that I would ask just like with my personal blog, with with like our agency's blog. Um, obviously, we work with a lot of clients. So I'm, uh, I don't know, um, acting a little bit here because we, we do a lot of analytics work with them. But 
you know, an easy question for me would be like, how many leads is this piece of content driving? Right. Because then the action would be like, if I can find patterns in the types of pages that are driving more leads, I could potentially, you know, that could inform my strategy as to like, what to double down on and maybe what to um, do less of. But then I could I could branch that question out even farther and say like, you know, what's the what's the difference between like first touch leads versus last touch leads? Like are people coming in, you know, for the first time and eventually becoming leads? And then that becomes like a different kind of question that would potentially give me different answers or actions that I could take on the strategy level. Um, it seems like those are actionable and like would kind of like culminate towards the end goal of driving revenue for the company. But then there's things that would be composites before that stage, which is like how to improve the quality of content. You know, like how many people, like what percentage of people are reading the entire article versus 50% of the article. And then you can maybe start to correlate that with like success rates of, of lead conversions. And I don't know, like what other questions would, <laughs> we're kind of hypothetically doing this, but like just brainstorming, yeah. like what would even be good questions to ask? Like if, like if you are asking the question of like how many leads does this article drive, right? Like that's the question. I would suggest you start with the most like basic thing of like how many leads that clicked on this button and then filled out the form, right? Like immediate, like immediate thing. Like I like we run a, a blog called like lookerstudio.vip. And like if you want to go look at how measurement like is set up on that site, like go to any article and click on the call to actions. And like, you can see it in the URL or passing like which call to action you clicked on from which blog post. So like, we know exactly when you fill out a form, like what was the thing that pushed you over the edge? Like, obviously you could have read 10 articles, right? Like, and then the 10th article is the one that like made you click. So you, like, we're going to give credit to that article for doing it because it was good regardless. The problem people run into, like, let me just take a step back. So that's what I'd start mm -hmm. with is like the last click, right? Like they clicked on, they read this article, they clicked the button and they fill out a lead. How many people did that? Because that's like your hard metric, right? Like that's like, like infallible, whatever the word that is, is like you can say without a shadow of a doubt, like this article is row these many people. What you can't say is like this article assisted in 55 leads over the course of nine months, right? And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, I use a fishing example of this, of like, imagine if you went to a river and you threw your, like, your, threw your fishing line into the river and you stood there with a pen and paper. And when you caught a fish, you marked the exact GPS coordinates of where that fish was. And you're like, oh yeah, here we are. I know exact at this number of seconds and minutes and whatever. And then it's exactly 11, 27 and 13 seconds and 14 milliseconds on July 17th, like whatever. I'm going to come back here next year and put my, just drop my fishing line right in there. Boop. And there's no fish. Why you won't no be fish? able to replicate it basically. You yeah, can't. It's, a, it's yeah. you're like chasing someone around the internet, trying to be like, well, I'm going to make everyone do this. Like let's this the whole, them to this article first, then this article, then this article, like it's not going to work. The fallacy of like customer journey mapping to an extent, at least on the website where it's like, first article is this third article is this fifth article is this. How can we force people down this funnel that may have happened a couple of times and we saw the pattern, but like, it's actually just like a random pattern. Right. Yeah. And like, there might be like a general like trend, but I like most of the time it's based off of like UX design and like, uh, like how the site is built and oh, wow, we have a feature article. It happened to be the first touch point on everybody's journey. So you're like, that's because it was the featured article, not because they happened to find it. Like it's, it was intense. Like you forced it. And so like the way that I like to view it is like that fishing example is like, it's way better to build a dam 
and force all the fish to the right side of the river <laughs> with your content, right? Like you're like forcing everybody to the over there and you're like, ah, I'll know that the majority of fish are going to be over there most of the time. And like, like that, I'm cool with that. And I also know the fish on the right side of the river as opposed to like anywhere. And like, that's what you need to be doing with like your analytics and your marketing and your measurement is saying like, what can I, what can I do to like nudge people in the right direction um, without obviously going the extreme route of like a, a sales funnel that like you can't leave, right? Like no, that's like the extreme of it. We're like, you're going down this path. Like we've disabled all navigations. You can't go anywhere else, but click in the buy button uh, and try to avoid that if you can. Just like in info product land, I feel like that's like old school internet marketing where it's like, this is the funnel yeah. <laughs> step-by-step step and there's like an urgency countdown timer. And it's like, this is horrible user experience. No enterprise B2B SaaS company is going to do this. Exactly. Or even like in the enterprise space, I see this all the time. Like, and this is, this is hilarious is where they will be like forward slash, like book a call hyphen social media ads. <laughs> Right. And that's the page that they're running ads to or LinkedIn ads, whatever. Right. And then they're like measuring success of like how people fill that form out. But like what I've seen happen is we're like, imagine that like, uh, like HubSpot picks up your call page and like, oh my gosh, this company's great. Links to it in your website. Your social media ads are like your, 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 your metric for like, oh yeah, social media ads are doing great. This form is getting filled out left and right. But like in reality, it wasn't that because someone else shared it. And that's what happens all the time where you're trying to force someone into doing something. You're trying to force everyone into like going to the social media ads thing directly from the LinkedIn ad to this thing. Like when in reality, people are gonna click around, someone's gonna share it. And now all your metrics are worthless. What about, um, we work with a lot of SaaS companies and I would imagine so like conversion rate is fine. Like if you get leads, if you get demos, if you get users, that's fine. But I would imagine like an important question that I would wanna know is like, is this piece of content driving the right type of leads? Like, is is the person that we want to reach, like if it's a CMO, like, and we're getting a bunch of leads who are like freelance writers, like that's obviously, you know, like we don't want a higher conversion rate of freelance writers. We want a higher conversion rate of CMOs, even if it's like fewer people. So like, is there a way or a question, you know, like, could you figure out like what types of companies they're coming from, I guess, with the lead form and attach that back to the page? Could you... I don't know, like who who is reading this and is it resonating with the right audience? Like, I feel like that's a, a very impactful question that could even stand above like the conversion rate and revenue metrics, right? It's like, are the right people reading this and are they enjoying it? Yeah, and I think that comes down to like your like tone of voice and who you're talking to, right? Like that's at the end of the day, if you write a thing of like how to get rich quick and use like uh affiliate marketing things to like the nth degree to make an extra million dollars in the next nine months like a cmo is not going to be reading that ever <laughs> right like so right, right. like that's the intention and then on the, on the lead side of things how i like to look at it is like imagine like a bow tie where it's like on the on the far left you have like impression aware like all these metrics and in the middle of the bow tie it comes to a point of a lead so you have all these metrics that you're like your content, your ads, your top of funnel, middle of funnel. Just think of that like uh, a sideways funnel, right? Going towards the middle of the bow tie. The second they become a lead, you now are on the back end of that bow tie on the right-hand side of uh, how long is it taking them to become a member or a, a, a paying subscriber. And then like, then you ask all those metrics. And usually I'd say like 95% of the time, um, it's the base of the form, like the form they filled out is like 
where everything derives. So if you just ask the question, how big is your company? One employee, five employees, 10 employees, 25 employees, 100 plus. Like now everyone who, like you can still get leads from people that are one person that are looking for the affiliate like article, just kick them out of your CRM and Mm -hmm. like, just don't count them. (laughs) And like, even if your article is like a, like a a, a listicle about like affiliate links, you can still ask that question on your form. And now you've just solved a problem. Like, like problem is solved by just adding that one question. We did that on our website. Like if you go to media authentic, like our agency, that's the question is like, how many people are you employing? Like we don't ask about revenue. We don't ask about like anything else. How many people are you employing? And the companies that are like the big companies that are like 25 plus, it's like epic. And then the companies that are one, it's like, I know I'm hopping on like a, a consultation of like how to help them, right? Not like a sales call. Right, um, right. And like, that's it. Like that was it. Like all the content is the same. We just changed the form value. And now you know what to do. And now there's less cost associated with driving those maybe like ill-fit leads. But that's that's kind of a question of like, um, you know, like there's all these things you can track, but then, you know, what do you optimize for? And like, what do you truly care about? And what are the aims of your program? Because that facilitates the strategy. Because I see a lot of content programs that it's it's really easy to measure traffic. Like that's default in like every analytic system. So that's usually the proximate value, but people look at leads almost as like a secondary thing. But I almost feel like it should be switched around. Like traffic's still important. It's obviously like the you know preceding step. <laughs> you know you need traffic to get leads, but if if you are incentivized by traffic, like you your team may inadvertently be you know aiming towards those hundred thousand, two hundred thousand search volume things that's just bringing in garbage leads when they could have taken maybe like a smaller approach of like more like long tail content. And if if the lead was the the primary KPI or what they were optimizing for, then you know like it would be a totally different program and strategy. Yeah, and like. The way that I try to mitigate that, my new favorite metric, which is like the worst, like nobody likes this metric, but like I think it's the most valuable is I'm calling it like the site efficiency, which is a percentage of sessions divided by people who see your offer. So like you take the sessions of the site, like you've gotten 10,000 sessions. How many people saw your apply page if you're like an agency, Mm -hmm. right? Like how many people saw the apply page? 10, 100? And then that's your percentage, like 1% of people. And then you can do that by category, right? Like of the, the CRM categories or what, however you want to break your content strategy up by is how efficient is the sessions, are the sessions getting someone to that like apply page or like the uh, like free demo, page, whatever the, just to see the page, not even like becoming a lead is like how efficient is your website at getting people to see the thing that you're offering them? Like, I like that. And then you can break it down by category. You can break it down by post type. Like if you do a lot of different things, like but you can do, break it down by source, right? Like how efficient are you at getting like Facebook people or Google people or whatever else to that step? And you have to exclude everyone that that was their landing page or that was their starting page because that's a cheat. So it's like traffic people are like, I'll just run ads to the page. Problem solved. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, And so that's where you can like start really, like I, I love that metric because you can really see, especially trending over time, like if you're moving in the right direction or if your strategy is like, we're going to add a ton of people in the sessions department and we're going to be okay with that percentage going down to like 0.5% or 1% or 3% to then even seeing it because that's our strategy. Like listicles off the wazoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, um, do you primarily work with marketers or what's, who's the, the kind of department that you primarily work with, whether it's like leadership, product? 
Yeah, usually like leadership and marketing, like CMOs or directors of marketing or like the the owner who's also the marketing person, like depending on the size of company. Um, yeah, so usually it's in the marketing side of things. And then uh, if product has questions, we like will hop into like questions with them, but predominantly marketing people. Do you notice any differences in maybe like acuity with regards to analytics with different people you work with? You, you don't have to throw shade, uh, <laughs> you know, generally speaking around any any party um, or like the types of questions that that different departments ask or different company sizes. Yeah, Susan B. Anthony is just terrible. I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I think in general it, it comes down to two t- two different types of people. They're the type of person who's like, I'm really good at my job, but this is not my job. Of analytic, right? Like measurement, mm-hmm. my job. That's why you're here. And like our team comes in and we provide the like feedback loop for them to be even better at their job. The other side of things is like people who are like everything is broken and then they think they know everything. And I'm like, it's like fighting them to be like, this is not like, don't look at bounce rate because it's so easily manipulated. And like they didn't know that you could easily manipulate bounce rate. Like, and then it's this weird thing of like them. Like you're trying to play like who's who's the like better analytics person. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> care. Like, I'm just gonna get you to take an action. Like your dat, like your dashboards, your reporting systems like aren't actionable. Like, otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And yeah. obviously, I wouldn't say that to them, but like that's kind of the vibe. Is that there's two sides of people, and that's usually the divide is like people that want to learn and then people that like wanna be like our way is the best way. But I'm like, you aren't taking any action, you're just like self-validating. Uh, <laughs> And so I like think that, that's the case with client work in general. Like, I've definitely seen some of that. It's like, didn't you hire me? Like, <laughs> what was yeah. that? You know, what was that and all like, about? Yeah. And it's definitely like, I think that we're like in a privileged spot because we don't do anything as far as the action goes. Like we, right. I've told every client, like we'll walk you all the way to the door. Like we will, we will like silva, serve up insights on a silver platter that is like red, yellow, and green. Like red means you're bad. Yellow is like, okay. And green is golden. Like, but like, we're not going to run the ads. Like we're not doing this. Like we're not taking the action. Like that's your department, that's your team, that's whomever. Um, and so like, I, that's like on our sales calls. Like I like say that where it's like, we are here to get you as close as humanly possible to an action that your team can take. Yeah. You guys, uh, we worked together and you guys were very good at two things. I thought like the, the first was like educating and like taking that approach. Um, Cause like, we we knew everything was broken, but like, um, you know, there's multiple departments and teams operating on the same analytics stuff. So it was like trying to teach everybody of different levels and get us all on the same page. And then technically speaking, also get us getting us on the same page through through a, a center of truth or like a single source of truth and a dashboard. So I found that approach really interesting because then it kind of enabled us to, you know, take that where we will with it strategy wise and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like, the three, like everyone's got like a framework over here. Like the three, three different like pieces we have is like the tactical, like we have to make sure everything is tactically working, like with dev teams and um, the teams that like are managing building the website or whatever else, or the people that within the forums, whomever it is, with those A to Z, tactically, everything needs to be working. And then with the strategy of like, let's measure stuff that makes sense and like report on things that your team can take action on. Because there's no sense in like reporting on something you can't do anything about. That's where and you source the questions and ask like, what are you going to do if you have this information? Exactly. I love right. that. Whenever it's like, what, what questions do you have? And then they're like, oh, these questions. And I'm like, okay, well, if I tell you it's 5%, what are you going to do? Like, like, hey, 50%, what are you going to do about it? Like, 
Like, and they're like, I don't know. I'm like, well, cool. Like, we'll throw that question out the window. Like, we don't need that one. And then, like, you just move down the list. And then you find, like, unearth the questions that they can take action on. And, like, the, the real world example of this is like Shopify. If you're like an e commerce client, um, it's really expensive to redesign the Shopify checkout. Like, it's just a hard thing to do. There's a lot of plugins you can have, but like, at the end of the day, it's still Shopify checkout. Like, you can only do so much. So, basically, we want a baseline of the checkout experiences. <laughs> because we're not changing it. <laughs> like you're not like going to redesign Shopify and rebuild Shopify. So like, let's just say, Hey, 7% of people make it through the checkout. Cool. Moving on to the next question. <laughs> like, right. like that's, that's what we got to do because some things you can't act on. Like you just can't do it because you don't have the resources to. So we have to define what resources you do have as a team and say like, Oh, is it possible that you can change the form fields? Yes. Cool. Let's ask a different question. And then it like, um, because sometimes it's actually like a hard thing to do where like their CRM team now is like, uh oh, what do we do with this new field? And like, you didn't realize that was a whole ordeal to start off with. <laughs> um, my assumption is that you, before you get to the strat, like more strategic stuff, like there's probably a lot of mess to clean up in most analytic setups. 100. Yeah. Things that you didn't know were wrong, like double counting sessions, double counting users, double counting something else or not counting it is often like one of those things is happening. Yeah. I wanted to ask like what the most common things are with the, the setup. And then maybe also like, what are the most common mistakes that marketers particularly are making with regards to analytics and GA? Yeah. I think the most, most common things is like not tracking the actual conversions. I know that sounds really like basic, but like tracking leads, tracking in the browser, like tracking all those pieces to give feedback to Google ads, give feedback to this thing or all the different platforms you're either running ads on or just trying to report on. Um, you'd be surprised at how many people are like running webinars or whatever else that are like a SaaS company that have like a monthly webinar, but have no idea how many people like where people are coming from. Like there's no analytics platform that's like counting registrations to the source. They're just looking at like Zoom's registration list. Mm -hmm. And you're like, how do we get these people? I have no idea. Like they're just going to show up. We got a hundred people to show up this week. Like that, that's it. But like they have no idea about like the other things. That's the most common is like just not tracking that thing and knowing how many people saw it to begin with. Like that's the, the problem. And then on your second question of like the analytics question, like, the problem most people ask, they ask really bad questions. And that's why I like to frame it of like, write down as many questions as you possibly can. And like, what action are you going to take on it? And that weeds out a lot of those bad questions where most people are like, oh yeah, like did the blue button work or the red button work? Like, like cool. Next question, please. Like, um, and so those are often a lot, like the asking better questions is where people often struggle with. It's like, what does a better question look like? What about campaign tagging? Like uh, whether it's offsite or use the use of internal website uh, UTM parameters. That oh common? yeah, that's all the time. Like <laughs> of people read like uh, if you're if you're if you're listening to this and you don't know if you use UTMs internally, like they're on the blog and they have UTM going to like the join page or whatever else, uh, it resets the session in Google Analytics and most analytics platforms. Um, and so like that's a huge problem where like teams are like we want to know if they push this button or this button. Um, where in reality, you should create your own parameters as opposed to using UTMs. So that's that's pretty common as well. Breaks your sessions. And then also like when there's tons of different teams, like you've got a paid, maybe several paid teams under the, the kind of performance umbrella, you've got SEO, you've got social, there's no homogenized format for UTM parameters. And like 
my, my understanding is that, that that can lead to incredible complexity when it comes to like like channel attribution, source medium attribution, campaign attribution, because everybody's kind of running their own thing, um, you know, rogue. And like, basically when it comes time for the analyst to sit down and say like, well, how many leads are we getting from paid and how many from this campaign? And things are all kind of like splintered out. Oh, 100%. And that's like the, uh, like the bigger the team, right? Like the more people that are in the pot, everyone has like an ego of like, this is the way that we're going to do things. And no one's really thought about like, every department or like every team um or, or every vendor if you're if you're using vendors to run traffic or anything like that like you that's why like the, the companies that we do work with over a long period of time love us like unequivocally because they can be like don't talk to us about how we're going to tag people go talk to these guys and like we'll have our team there and like this is the way we do things here and like we are kind of like the uh, the bodyguards of of the of the, uh, of the clients' uh, measurement systems. Who, in absence of you guys, who usually like because that sounds like a data governance thing. Uh, who usually owns that? Um, I guess like nomenclature or kind of tagging yeah. system. I feel like usually it, it falls an on ops like, person. Yeah, if there is an ops person, or if there if like there is a marketing like who's reporting on things sometimes. It, it, it kind of gets lost, and like that's where the problems arise. If people start asking us the questions of like, how well did our Facebook ads do? Well, like, how did you? How would you judge that? Like, and then they're like, well, we didn't tag anything, so like, I don't know. And so then it's like this really bad thing where like, like no one's owning it. Like nobody is. Everyone's kind of like trying to self validate as opposed to be like company validate. I feel like that's such a common problem, and I don't know why it. It is a problem. Maybe just the assumption that Google Analytics, you set it up, you forget it. You don't really need somebody to like own and maintain and kind of manage it throughout the company and how people are using it, um, you know, from like the Google Tag Manager perspective and the setup, but then also like how you're adding on new, you know, events and and campaigns and all of that stuff. People Maybe people assume that we've got the tool, it's tracking what we want, we're good, basically. Yeah, and like, it's one of those things of like, the more you know, right? The more you're like, this is important, right? Like they're one of those things. But it's kind of when you think of people with a website, like some people are like, we got a website, we're good. Like, don't even touch that again. Um, and it's, but then as you become more educated, right? You're like, oh, wait, we probably should be adding articles. To the right. Probably should like change up the homepage every once in a while, like maybe quarterly, semi-annually of like a new feel, a new image, a new thing, like you're probably doing that every once in a while, like just, just a little tweak here and there. Um, same thing happens with like measurement systems is that like, when you start, you're like, we got, we got GA, don't know what it's doing sitting over there, but it's, it, it's there. And then as you get more things, you're like, okay, like, cool. Like, maybe we should be like adding a few more things to it. Maybe we should have someone to actually see it. Is it working? Like, it, or is it being consistent? Um, and that's way more valuable. The same way that like, as opposed to having a static website you never touched in your life is not, it's like better than nothing, but like you could be like juicing that lemon uh, for, for a lot more. Yeah. I guess it's always the, the person who's obsessed with it is going to see a lot more low-hanging fruit's not even the right word, but they're going to see some obvious things that they could fix. Like often I'll kind of like audit a prospect's website and they'll tell me their problems around content and SEO and be like, oh, we, you know, we've done a little bit, we're not getting results. And I'll dig in and be like, you guys are ranking for a ton of like competitive terms and you're publishing like twice a month. And there's all these other keywords you could go for. Like, why aren't you publishing 
like 10 X the pace. And they're like, Oh yeah, we didn't think about that. We thought we had to do like all these other things. <laughs> like, Oh no, no. Like, like I'll see little things like that or like, why are you doing it this way? And you know, like it, it's just something they hadn't thought of because it's not like their primary domain. Exactly. And usually like no one hops on a call with us unless they're in pain. Like, mm-hmm. like I've so many times it's been like goal three is broken. That's the problem. Can you help? And like, it's a much bigger problem than goal three being broken. Like that's not the problem. There's a it's whole like going to a, the, get your car, like your oil change. And then like the mechanics, like, actually you should look into this. Cause Holy shit, your car is about to break down. Yeah. It's even like to take that car thing. It's like, it's like you hear a weird noise and you're like, Oh, it's just that like, I need to get more air in my tires. Like go to the mechanic. Right. And then they're like, actually your engine about to blow up and you need your oil change and your filters change and everything's actually broken. And like, you could drive this car for another 100,000 miles if you fix these things or it's going to break. But you would never know that unless you were like, oh, yeah, my tires are low. Like, And that's what happens with us all the time. It's like people like, this thing that I look at that I value is broken or we don't know about this. And then it's actually like a much bigger system of like, let's talk to the other department. Hey, your paid ads team, what are they doing? Um, and we try to like bring everything in under one roof. That's really interesting. One one of my goals, um, I have several with the agency, like elevating this kind of content marketing universe and the conversation around it. One of my goals is to like get people a little bit more numerate, um, not to the extent that everybody's an analyst or everybody can like set up Google Tag Manager and do all the, all of the nuances, but where they can start to notice some of these small things that lead them to like pull on that string and find that there may be bigger issues. Because then maybe you can start using data to inform more of your strategy and actually get better results. And maybe more importantly, just communicate that you're already getting results. Because I find that Nuber at teams, like a lot of times paid acquisition people come from like finance and quant backgrounds. Um, they're very good at like showcasing like the value they're bringing. Whereas content marketers don't generally know how to say like, this is the value that we're we're adding and here's the data to prove it. So like, that's one of my like broader goals is just like introduce a little bit of that quantitative nature just so they can you know, start to ask those questions and start to bring that to the table. Yeah, exactly. Like that's a great goal to have. And like, what, like once you know it's possible, it's a lot easier to ask more questions, right? Like that's when you know it's possible, it's very easy to play within those realms. Like, like myself, right? So I can ask questions. I know that I know how to get the answer to, like, if we're not collecting it, I know there's a system to get the answer. But like, if you don't even know that, like you have to like be like, okay, what are the questions that we're going to ask? And like, how do we get those numbers? Like, how do we start that process? Um, because yeah, most of our clients, it's like 50% education, 30% like strategy and 20% implementation. <laughs> like, like it's, uh, um, it's off the top. Yeah. So that, that's very, very much like our, our as well. Like where we're trying to like get people to understand numbers and do all those things with the numbers. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about GA4? Yeah. Happy to talk about GA4. Okay. So let's, couch this in like the rundown what like okay so ga4 has rolled out universal analytics is the existing system but in uh is it june it's sometime in 2023 that universal analytics is going to be deprecated and ga4 is going to be the standard and the only ga system right exactly so yeah for just for everybody listening along is uh ga4 is the new analytics platform that google is pushing. It's a completely different system. Universal Analytics, which was established like a decade ago, uh, is going away July 1st, 2023, I believe. And um, from that point on, you'll have to be either using GA4 like or some other platform. Like You can use whatever you want. Like 
it doesn't really matter. Google's great because they have Google ads and all the other pieces as well. Um, so just on the on the topic of that is it's it's way better for the modern world. Like full stop, that's that's the the statement I've got on GA4. It's like it's better for the modern world. Everyone's up in arms about this because it, everybody has been reliant on universal analytics for the past decade. And it's a completely different methodology of how it's actually collecting information. And so you have to kind of understand that it's a different, it's just it's a chain, it's different. It's just different overall how it's all actually happening behind the scenes. And so that's where we are, like currently, where everyone's kind of like in this weird migration process of like, what should we set it up now? Like, what do we look at? Do we look at GA4 or Universal? And that's kind of where the current state of affairs is. But I can hop into any specific topic if there's something that's the bleeding net currently for anyone listening. Well, what are the big differences? Um, I don't know if you want to take that from like an underlying data model perspective, because my understanding that it's purely like it's it's principally based on events now, um, which is what many other product analytics systems have been for a minute, um, or on the interface level, like what are kind of the main changes that people should expect? Like what are the fundamental differences? Yeah, we'll start with the the, the, the UI piece, because I think that's the piece the most notable, like no one's looking at the data model, unless you're like really nerdy, and then, and then you've got other problems. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on the UI piece is that universal analytics was great because they gave you all these default charts and reports and you were like cool i got these and it was kind of a hack hackathon to like customize anything you need to like kind of finesse your way left or right figure out what you're doing you have events category actions and labels and that's about it like and then you have this weird other stuff that's happening behind the scenes and marketers kind of like that because it forced them to look at these reports GA4 comes along, and when they initially launched in the end of 2021, I think it was, uh, or like, yeah, Q4 2021, everyone was like, there's nothing here. And they allowed you to customize it. So you can build your own reports. You can add your own categories of reports. Like, you can have a whole section that's just organic. Mm. So, like, you could have, like, organic acquisition paths, organic page. You can build your own reports in your Can't analytics you do account. custom funnels in this, too? Can't you, like, take, like, yeah. a set of three pages and actually map out a funnel? A hundred percent. You can have open funnels. You can have closed funnels. You can define those funnels retroactively of, like, we didn't set up anything, but I want to see how many people did this, this, and this. And then you can build a funnel and you can say, okay, I want to see these steps in order. And then also people who jumped in midway. Like, mm-hmm. you can do all those pieces. So, it's all unlimited. Like, within reason, but like it's, you can pretty much ask any question you want to, but you have to ask the question. There's nothing default. It's forcing you to ask the question, which is is standard best practice for like an analytics, uh, you know, team. Yeah. And so like, it's like, okay, like now we have to start. Like, so what happened to us is everyone's now trying to force, like, how do we get the universalist reporting in GA4? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, technically it's like not really possible because that was a product scope dimension. And that was a user scope dimension. And now we don't have session scope anymore. And now we don't have product scopes. So like, how do we do that? Like, and you're trying to force like a square peg in a round hole. Like, obviously, there's a lot of pieces that we that are still ne- being added to GA4, but that's the fundamental underlying problem is that there's nothing default. Um, do you but, think that it's harder to use because of that reason for maybe non-analysts and and kind of non-technical minds? Or, I mean, I'm sure like anybody could get there if they they take the training and like kind of like get used to the platform. But like, is it inherently a little more difficult because you don't have those default reports? 
Yeah, it's like it's like if you didn't know what question to ask in Universal, you just click on the three buttons and be like, cool, here we are. Like organic traffic, user sessions, whatever. Like that was it. And then you'd be like, all right, this makes some sense, I think. Let's go do something. Um, whereas in GA4, you have to be like, what's the question that we're asking and how does this work? Because it's a lot more, it's infinitely customizable. You have 50 mm-hmm. parameters you can set with every event. Like what we're doing with some of our content, like, clients who are very content heavy is just building a new parameter that passes the uh, category of the the tag or what it's tagged with or the author ID. Um, So you know, like, hey, this persona is doing way better than this persona or like this content architecture is way better. Like there's so it's infinitely customizable. um, And so that's kind of the problem. (laughs) It's like the difference between going to Chipotle where you've got like a set amount of options that can create a pretty solid amount of of dishes. And maybe there's some secret menu items or something like that versus the open prospect of going to a grocery store and completely planning and creating your own meal based on like what is in your head, which you could maybe create some facsimile of the Chipotle meals as well, or you could create something totally different, right? There's that just is, kind of is, endless options. That is the best analogy. I'm instilling this right now. Um, <laughs> that is like the best analogy I've heard of this is that is exactly true. Like you can kind of customize Chipotle to a little bit. You're like, I know what, don't want any guacamole. I don't want this. I want this. Can you add double meat, etc. But at the end of the day, you're still getting a burrito or a bowl <laughs> or something like that. Right. Um, and yeah, that's exactly true. And that's where, like, if you have someone who knows how to, like, navigate a grocery store with the end in mind of building, like, a five-star meal, it's way easier to go to a grocery store than trying to build a five-star meal at Chipotle pre-cooked ingredients. So if you're a marketer, like, what is your advice? Like, do you, do you um, you know, take the maybe nights and weekends and spend time to figure out how to maybe set this up? Or, like, maybe not, like, implement, but, like, you know, create custom reports or, or I don't know, like what what do you do from this standpoint? Like if you've got a runway, we've got like six, seven, eight months until then. Like, how do you prep if you're a content marketer or generally I'd a marketer? Say, I'd say spend four hours watching YouTube videos, taking a course, messaging me, whatever your heart desires, learning about this, how GA4 is different. Maybe even, yeah. And then you spend four hours trying to implement via tag manager, via these things, like custom dimensions, build your own custom reports, et cetera. Then wait a month and like try to like look at your reports and then delete everything. <laughs> and then spend four hours building it again, four hours looking at it, and then two hours being like, oh yeah, we got it. That's 20 hours total <laughs> that I just, I just laid out. And that's my advice is like, spend those four hours in the upfront to learn something, implement, delete it, you're going to do it wrong, guarantee it, and then redo it in a month. And that's what like the best, what my best advice would be is like budget 20 hours over three months to kind of do that. And then you'll be way better off because you'll have broken it. And then yeah, yeah. I, I meant to break it. So we're good. <laughs> I like that. I mean, that's how I've always learned these things. These things, they always seem like very like um, intimidating in high or like when you're looking ahead at it and then in hindsight, you're like, oh, okay, like I, I get that. But like usually the way I, I get into it is just like getting my hands dirty and kind of messing up like once or twice. Like, uh, you know, I'll take a course maybe just to like prep my mindset for like how to look at it. But inevitably it's like, I'll usually use my personal website as a sandbox. So I don't like, you know, fuck up a client's website or something <laughs> like that, which is great. That's also a, a, a way you should definitely have a personal website or something like that. So you can... <laughs> That's how I learned how to A-B test. But um, yeah, at, at the end of that, I'm usually like, oh, okay. So like, 
there's no like delineation between like a technical person and a non-technical person. It's just like the non-technical person hasn't applied the time and effort into becoming like some gradation of technical in that area. Exactly. I think also like GA4, like to its credit, is a lot more a lot better at like automatic event collection. Like it's better off if you did nothing before, right? Say, let's, say you just installed Universal Analytics on your site. Like you just dropped it in, no customization at all, zero. And you did the same thing with GA4, you'd be better off with GA4. Like you'll have more insights, you'll have 90% scrolls, you'll have outbound link clicks. You have all these like hmm. kind of KPIs by doing nothing, <laughs> like just setting it up, turning it on, you get 90% scrolls, you get outbound link clicks, you get form interactions. Like you get all these pieces that are automatic. The the problem is, is that like once you go like to the mid-level person, like the non-person who's just installing, trying to do some customization, like you're screwed because it's so much more different. Like it's so different. Mm. You're not, you're not going to take what you knew. But then the advanced person, like once they understand it, it's like, what are we tr- like? Let's talk bigger than like, what are you trying to accomplish? And like, we'll finesse this. We'll go to the grocery store of GA4 and pick out all the things to make you the best possible meal. And like, that's the beauty of GA4 is that you can customize it. Whereas with Universal, you kind of are stuck with like, within reason, you can customize some things. Like you can make custom reports and do stuff. But with GA4, it's literally, literally limitless. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I'm excited for it. I ate at Chipotle every day for like the first year that I lived in Austin for lunch and I got tired <laughs> of it. So ready for the next. Um, yes. Do you want to do some rapid fire, uh, non analytics related questions? Oh yeah. I'm all open to it. Cool. Um, they're not actually rapid fire. I mean, you can take time to think about some of these. (laughs) Um, who do you admire professionally and why? Ooh, professionally. I think, um, I like to look at people that are like the next step above as opposed to like the, like Steve jobs or whatever, where it's like one to a million. So I think for me right now, I really professionally admire uh, Chris Mercer of measurementmarketing.io. Like, he's pretty awesome. So I think that that's like my current uh, admiration professionally. I too am a big fan of Mercer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you could create your own category in Jeopardy, what would it be? And would you get every question right? I'd say maybe something with like... Um, like movie trivia. I'm like pretty good at like the general like movie, like movie topics. Like if I watch, if I've seen the movie, I'm usually pretty good at like knowing uh, like what, like what, what happened when it was out, all those kind of things. <laughs> Do you have a specific genre or, or, or time period or anything that you would specialize in within that category? Um, I think like just any, anything that's like after the nineties, <laughs> like if it's older movies, like that are like almost gr- like gray, not, not, not that. So, um, like usually like nineties and beyond, um, most movies that are not like romance flicks pretty much. Nice. I'll, be, I'll be good on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I could probably do like nineties and two thousands rom-coms, not romance flicks, but like the, uh, you know, like, <laughs> I don't even know, like Paul Matthew Rudd, McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yeah. Those types. <laughs> yeah. PG 13 kind of fun. Yes. <laughs> um, which talent would you most like to have? I think uh, in general, like the, the talent of a presentation, I think the people that are just like naturally like dressed well, they like, like present themselves well as like just an innate part of them, like without trying much or like, or that like an innate style and things. I always think that would be like 
I like have the opposite of that. Whatever the opposite of that is, is what I've got. Um, and so I think that that's always like something that I always look at. I feel like put a lot of thought into, and it'd be like a, a cool thing to be like, just talented at. Yeah. Yeah. Just the natural <laughs> and graceful people who just, yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah. It. I just like threw these things on. I'm like, how did you just <laughs> throw that on? Like, and you're just like naturally walking through like this conference looking like you own the conference. Um, yeah. <laughs> Presence. I like that. Um, if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? Uh, I'm going to go with like Amelia Earhart <laughs> because I feel like that would be a unique like conversation of like, being like a woman then understanding like the like what she was trying to do what she ended up doing if she's like still alive all those things <laughs> um, all those pieces that's a really good one yeah um what would you consider the most overrated virtue the most overrated virtue oh man i think like maybe this is like going to be like the worst the worst one but like um I think humility is like overrated in the sense of like, if you're extremely humble, it's great. Like you are a humble person, but like at some point you have to tell somebody that you did something that is good. Like I said, there's a company all the time. I'm like you freaking rock like person. Like I'm like, I'm yelling their praises. and like, like they, even like they don't want to be like gloatful of like gloating about something. But like, I think that if you are super humble that like you sometimes are penalized for that. I learned that in, internally in corporate politics, like if you don't say what you're doing, like nobody knows what you're doing. Yeah. So you do have to like speak up a little bit. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And so like, if you just add a little more, like not like be like, there's a, a, a other side of that coin. It's like, there's a far like, side of that spectrum. <laughs> like, what, I'm like, what did you do? Like nothing. <laughs> it's um, sometimes the inverse too. It's like the people who are like on that far end of the extreme being super loud. It's like, maybe they should be a little more humble. <laughs> and, yeah. and the ones who are humble with imposter syndrome, it's like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> you should be the one who's, you know, writing and speaking and like talking about all this stuff. Exactly. So yeah, it's like find that balance of that. But I think like, uh, yeah. Humility is overrated. <laughs> what is a career choice that you considered but didn't pursue? I thought about becoming a doctor um, when I was like in like university. Like everyone was saying, like, you should become a doctor. And I was like, that's I considered it for a hot second. And then it was like, that sounds like a lot of school for like not actually doing anything, like until you're out. <laughs> it's an insane career track. Like I, I've I've seen some people close in my life go through it. And it's like there's not just like the insane amount of school and potentially debt, right? If you're, if your parents aren't paying for it, but then you get into residency and it's like 80, 90 hour work weeks and you're not paid that well. And that's like, yeah. you know, anywhere between like three and six years, then you might do a fellowship and then you get out and you're making what um, somebody who joins Google makes after like two or three years. <laughs> like, yeah. And hey, it's this like, could have been easier. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's like, if you, yeah, I always just think that's like an interesting career path. Although like I, I do have like the privilege of saying I have like a degree, like I, I have like a, a communications degree, but I always say like, I, got, I got a BS in BS. Like it's not really <laughs> like, like actually doing something like in the world is way more uh, impactful than like the schooling that you took to get there. Um, whereas the inverse is true with like those higher level degrees of like doctors and things. So, yeah. It's something so, you definitely have to love, like to take that path. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that's all I've got. So do you want to tell people where they can find you online? 
Yeah, if you uh, are looking like, oh my gosh, I want this stuff done for our company, uh, Media Authentic. So that's like the word media and the word authentic just smashed together. Uh, find me on LinkedIn, JJ Reynolds. Uh, we are launching, or uh, by Linux have launched uh, betterthandata.com, which is where we're talking all about this stuff and how like service providers can leverage um, analytics systems to do better work overall. So uh, that's betterthandata.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you.